0: chapter 16, and uh, we'll kind of get started from there. But praise God, good to see you. We'll get into the Word tonight. We'll look at a number of different scriptures. Praise God. Make sure everybody know that in two weeks they've got elections, so make sure you Get out there and vote or get your ballot. Make sure you can get that mailed in and everything. All righty. And Matthew, excuse me, Mark 16. Mark 16. I want to begin reading with verse 15, and then I'll read through verse 18. But there's a little line in verse 17 that we're going to use as our launching pad. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world. And preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believes not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now in verse 17, in that That B clause, it says, in my name they shall cast out devils. And so tonight we want to teach you on Satan. We want to look at what some scripture says about him. And also to show you how we have authority and power over the devil. This is what Jesus said in verse 17. And again, it says, these signs shall follow them that believe. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, uh, we do thank you for another opportunity to gather. We consider this to be a privilege to be able to talk about your son and to open up the word of God. We pray, Lord, that you just let the light shine on all of our hearts. Give us all ears to hear and help us to walk away with some things clarified. We are so grateful that your son came and died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Now, this is a a topic that is shrouded in a lot of mystery for people because there aren't a lot of churches or pastors that will even take up the subject of the devil, let alone Satan, and talk about him and look at some of the things that the scripture says. In fact, many people have been taught consistently when they read the scripture that where they see stories where the devil is involved they'll say that those things are no longer applicable today some people act as though these were stories for an ancient time for people that weren't as advanced intellectually as this generation and so they teach people as though all of the kinds of afflictions and problems you read about in the Bible, that there's not a devil that's behind it anymore. And so they take a more historical approach to the Bible. They'll say, well, there is a story about a serpent that deceived Adam and Eve, but you can't really believe that was a serpent or a devil that did that. Well, they'll say, well, of course, you know, in the end of the book, In Revelation, it talks about that great dragon, Satan, uh, being cast down out of heaven. Well, you can't really believe that those things occurred. Well, that's a terrible way to learn the Bible. But there are millions of people who certainly have been instructed in that way. And so we we really want to look at this in a different way. And I want to begin by telling you that the last chapter of Mark, beginning with verse 9, is a set of passages that in most modern Bibles are deleted. So the average Bible that was made, I'd say after the 1940s, if it has verses nine through 20, then it's likely that they'll have some little statement next to them that says these weren't in the oldest manuscripts of the Bible, or they'll be bracketed so that you won't have any belief or faith in them at all. But I just want you to know that the early church and the apostolic fathers and the church fathers cited these verses repeatedly. And the manuscripts that the uh, newer versions have based their New Testament on are manuscripts that were not even in circulation in ancient times. We don't even have a record of anybody who even used these things. In fact, a couple of them they found in a waste paper basket in a monastery in Egypt. That's what I mean when I say no one used them. They weren't even valued. However, verse 17 is part of the original canon. It's certainly an inspired text that comes from the mouth of the Lord, and he's speaking specifically about devils that can be cast out now let's go to Job chapter 1 that's right before the book of Psalms we know that the adversary makes his appearance in the garden we know that to be true and that is factual God had a conversation with him even cursed him and in Job chapter 1 notice what it says in verse 6, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. Now that word Satan in Hebrew means adversary. It means adversary and it means an opponent, or someone who's opposed to you. And it is used as a verb sometimes <coughs> to describe an enemy who's standing in opposition against you. So like in Numbers 22, when it talks about Balaam and it says the angel came and stood in the way as an enemy. Remember the story of Balaam when he had the donkey that spoke? He and and the donkey were trying to go by and there's an angel standing there in the way. And the Bible says the angel stood there in the way as an enemy. And the Hebrew word for that word enemy is Satan. That is to say he took a posture that was opposed to Balaam's progress on that donkey. But I do want you to know, as you can see from Job 1, verse 6, that Satan himself is a spirit and he's a real entity. So we're not talking about a figment of somebody's imagination. and We're not just uh, talking about a, a, a bad or evil influence. We're talking about a spirit that has abilities. We know he has abilities because in verse six, you can see that he wants to be right in the middle of where God's people are, whether they're angels or people. He wants to be right in the middle of what God is doing. And in uh, this setting, he told the Lord, I've been roaming the earth looking for people I could bring problems to. So Satan is looking for prey. He's a predator and he's looking for people that he can overcome, overwhelm, tempt, try produce difficulties because he does not want God's people to walk in obedience to the scripture. So the devil hurts people in general, but he wants to lead God's people into disobedience in particular. I mean, the devil loves to see little babies born that are twisted and crippled up. He, he loves to see elderly people that are just so bent over they can't hardly stand. The devil loves to see homes that are torn apart, ripped to shred with with nothing but uh, strife and discord. And, of course, he'd do anything he can to get into a church to produce all kinds of disharmony and uh, strife in the middle of that. So Job 1 and 6 shows us that he's actively trying to get involved with what God wants to do. There's no doubt about it. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 4, first book of the New Testament. We'll be looking at a number of scriptures, Matthew 4, and notice the temptation of Christ, the first 10 verses. In verse 1, Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness in order to be tempted. The Holy Spirit that filled Jesus' life led him down a particular path so that the adversary could get to him. That, that's a very important principle to know when you're walking with God, because God doesn't put you in a bubble where you can't be dealt with or tempted by the adversary. You, you live in a world filled with sin. You live in a world filled with sinners and you can't experience temptation if the devil can't get to you. Remember that you can't experience temptation if he can't get to you. So we, in order for him to get to you, though, it doesn't necessarily mean he's got to lay his physical hands on you and attack you the same way that he attacked Job. Because unlike in Job's situation, you'll see here in a little bit, God has given us some powers of resistance when it comes to the adversary. But in Matthew four, verse one, the temptation is about the adversary coming to him verse two jesus was out there for 40 days and 40 nights verse three the tempter came to him that means the tempter knew jesus was in this wilderness and he came to him and then verse four you can see where he then opens up his mouth and and uh, he's talking to uh, the Lord, but the Lord rebukes him and said, man won't live by, by, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. So the adversary then in this aspect, he has certain knowledge of God. We know that he, he can quote the scripture. He understands how that operates. You can see also in verse uh, number six. He quotes the word of God. He's quoting a Psalm there. He said, if you just throw yourself down, the angels will come. So he understands the ability of angels. He understands the power of angels. He knows that they're at the beck and call of God and that they should be looking after him. But also you can see in verse eight and nine, he says, all of these kingdoms and their glory. will I give if you bow down and worship. So Satan knows about the different nations of this world. Yeah, he's actively involved with empowering certain kings and leaders in uh, these areas. And he definitely, according to verse 9, he wants worship. That's an amazing thing to think that Satan would be interested in that. But even when you get into the book of Revelation, you'll see that so much of what the beast, the false prophet, and all of that are involved with has to do with bringing people to a place of the worship of the dragon, So Satan desires people to humble themselves in his presence. But notice verse 11. It says, then the devil leaves Jesus. So he will leave. Did Jesus ever yield to any of these temptations? No. But it does say here that the devil left him. So now in James chapter four, verse seven, here is what it says. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. See, you resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And you can't expect God to do the resisting for you. In fact, in Ephesians, it says, give no place to the devil. That's something you have to do. It doesn't tell you in the New Testament for you to pray about God keeping the devil from getting at you. Now, when we get further on into the book of Peter, then Peter says that we have faith. And he says we're supposed to resist the devil steadfastly in our faith because he's like a roaring lion roaming about looking for a prey that he can devour. And as you know, most predators, they love the kind of prey they don't have to work too hard to get. So there's one that's feeble. Or sickly, they'll pounce upon it and destroy it. If there's one who can't keep up with the herd. They'll pounce on it and destroy it. And so as a Christian then, if the devil looks and sees that inside of one of us, there's bitterness, unforgiveness. We're angry with someone, so then we break away from the sheepfold. Then that predator, he comes and he looks to devour Christians there have been plenty of Christians who have been overcome by the adversary simply because they allowed their insides to become poisoned with something. And then before you know it, here comes the devil, and he's doing everything that he wants to do wreaking havoc in somebody's life. But again, give no place to him, the Bible says. Resist him, and he will flee. Well, you say, well, pastor, I've, I've done that before, but it doesn't seem like the devil goes anywhere. Well, remember, he came to Jesus and Jesus resisted him on three occasions you have here. And then eventually he did leave. I don't know how many times the devil will come and tempt you about one particular thing. I just know that every time he comes, you're supposed to say no. And it's within your ability to say no. The scripture says that there's no temptation that's come to you except the temptation that is common to every human being. But with every temptation, God makes a way of escape. What's that? An exit time. There's the way for you to get out of here. And, and, and that's a very important thing. Now let's go to Luke chapter 10, the fourth, excuse me, third gospel, Luke chapter 10. And let's see something else here. We're talking about Satan. And in Luke 10, this is where Jesus gives 70 disciples power to go around Israel and to preach. But notice in verse 17, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through your name. That's Luke ten seventeen. Look at verse 18. And he said to them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So if if Jesus saw the fall of Satan, then that means it happened. And if Jesus saw it, then he was well positioned to see his fall and his decline and being thrown down here. And as the the Bible teaches us, the devil and a third of his angels were kicked out. See, Imagine that. that. To think, that God would create angels, and Satan could talk enough of them into following him down a terrible path, that all of them would then be kicked out of heaven. But Jesus said, "I have direct knowledge. I saw this. that's what he said. very well positioned. so then if if Jesus saw the fall and then he turns around and tells the disciples here in verse 19, I'm giving you power, then we should understand that he's in a position to impart that power to his disciples. If, if he didn't give them any power, they wouldn't have come back rejoicing in verse 17. Otherwise, they would have just been out there traveling and going around doing everything they were doing, and nothing would have happened. You remember the story of the, the ones in the book of Acts, and it says that uh, they were running around trying to cast out devils like Paul, and they came upon this this guy, and uh, they they're in there trying to cast the devil out of him. And it says that man he rose up, and uh, he jumped on them, cause he made it very plain he wasn't afraid of any of them. And it says that he jumped on the man and beat him so bad that they left without their clothing. See, left without their clothing. Now that's that's pretty embarrassing. If you, you're calling yourself trying to set somebody free and then you're the one running around looking for liberty. And, and that's exactly what happened in that in that book. They said, look, we uh, we, we know who Jesus is, but, but who in the world who in the world are you? And so as a Christian, then we've got to understand that any power that we have, we have as Christians because we're connected with him. And as the Bible says, these signs shall follow them that believe. It doesn't say these signs shall follow them that are apostles. And it doesn't say these signs shall follow them that are preachers. But Mark 16, 17 says these signs shall follow them that believe in that in that particular area. So the devil then was cast out of heaven. And so the Lord gives us power to cast him out here on planet Earth. And look at verse 1. And the reason I'm spending time on Luke 10, verse 1, rather than the Matthew and the Mark uh, text, because I want you to see these aren't apostles. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 other also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place whither he would come. So Jesus knew his itinerary and he sent delegates before him to go into these cities to do ministry. Now, we don't know the names of anybody in these 70s because the scripture doesn't tell us. And there are some, some texts amongst the, the old ancient fathers where they try to uh, single out who they think they were, but it really doesn't matter. But here, here's the thing. Not knowing who they are doesn't change what they were able to do. And the same Jesus that sent them is the one that sent us. And every gospel has some kind of great commission. Even in the gospel of John, as the father hath sent me, even so I send you. That's what Jesus said in John. And of course, at the end of Luke, you still have a great commission. He's telling them, stay, you're going to be endued with power, but go and preach repentance to the nations. Matthew tells us, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then we have already looked at Mark chapter 16. So these points are important because Satan, one of his greatest weapons is to lead people to believe he doesn't exist. And you think about that. There are a whole lot of people on this earth, they don't believe in God, so you know they don't believe in the devil. And since they don't believe in God or the devil, they don't believe there's any supernatural activity taking place behind the scenes. Now, if the Lord could open up our eyes this evening to be able to see spiritually, to look into the spirit realm, you'd probably be amazed by what you would see. You'd be astonished by the kinds of people that are under the power of the devil, almost like puppets that are controlled by strings. You'd be surprised by the millions of people that are dwelling in this kind of darkness and are in the clutches of satanic power, and they don't know how to get out of it because the carnal mind looks at things that are spiritual and explains it away. And you find this oftentimes in commentaries and sometimes in study Bibles. They'll look at what the text says about a particular thing and then they'll say, well, it, it really wasn't a miracle. It just seems that way. So when, when the children of Israel passed through the Red Sea, they just happened to pass through a part of the river where the water was low. See, and it was only about ankle deep. But, as I used to hear all them old preachers say, that was even a greater miracle that the that the Lord could drown all them chariots and Egyptians there in ankle deep water see see people are always looking for ways to turn the Bible upside down so that what's supernatural isn't really supernatural. So they'll say, well, if if the Bible says there were 5,000 people there and Jesus multiplied loaves and bread, that's just a round figure. There probably wouldn't have been more than a couple of hundred, you know, that kind of a thing. Anything to diminish a reader's perception of the miraculous. Now, if if that happens with regard to Jesus, then, you know, people will also struggle with thinking that the devil is at work in some people's lives. But he is. There's no doubt about it. He he is. So in the Gospels and in the Acts, we have um, some examples here. Let's go to Matthew 12. I'll show you something here. Matthew 12, back to the first gospel. Matthew 12. And look at verse 22 then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil blind and dumb and he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw several things here devils and the devil wants to get inside of people because Our bodies, as the scripture teaches, supposed to be the habitation of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are the houses of God. And God the Holy Ghost wants to dwell in us so that he can control our actions, deal with our thinking, work on our Christian life, and allow Christ to be manifest through us. However, just like God wants habitation inside of us, the devil does also. And the devil has certain characteristics that with every spirit that is under his control, if that spirit can get inside of someone, then the attributes of that spirit will eventually manifest. You say, what kind of characteristics? In verse 22, you have a blind and dumb spirit. See? I can show you other places where there'll be a, a spirit, of course, where it just says a person can't speak or like the woman who was bent over and she couldn't stand up. And it says she had a spirit of infirmity. So she just had something in her that brought weakness to her body physically. Yeah, this is what the devil wants. He wants to hurt people. He desires to hurt people. There's the story in Mark chapter 5 of that, that crazy man that lived in the cemetery. Now, he hadn't always been crazy, but something happened. Now, when he was a baby and he was born into this world, you better believe mom and dad were happy to have him. And he was just like any other kid. But somewhere along the line, the devil entered his life and it got so bad that he pretty much separated himself from all his family and friends and ended up living out in the tombs in the cemetery without hardly any clothing on. How do I know that? Because the Bible says when he was healed, they found him sitting clothed and in his right mind. And at the same time, he would sit out there with sharp stones and other items and cut himself so the blood would run down. So Satan really does love to see people hurt and harm themselves. Let's not forget the story of the young boy who kept trying to burn himself up. And they brought him to Jesus. The disciples couldn't do a thing with him. And they, they, they brought him to Jesus. And Jesus said to the father, how long has he been like this? And the dad said, since he was a kid. And so Jesus then rebuked rebuke that spirit. That spirit came out. But here's my point. The spirit got in the boy when he was a kid. So whether it's a young child or an adult, the devil is looking for a doorway in there. And if he can get in there, he's gonna manifest all of his attributes and crazy habits and methods. And this is why sometimes you'll see some little seven or eight-year-olds nobody can control. And I mean, you, you talk about demonic. I mean, attitudes of anger and tantrum, and I mean they go to breaking things and tearing things up. That's not always physical or psychological. That's sometimes that's spiritual. You find someone who who just they just have a, a tendency, this, this inclination to just set things on fire when they're five or six years of age. That, that, that may not be natural. See, that, that, that can be a spiritual deal. You, you find someone who, uh, when, when they're a little kid, by the time they're 12 or 13, they get great delight out of torturing animals, see, burning them up, see? and, and so, so on and so forth. And they don't have any kind of sense of feeling or empathy or remorse with regard to what they're doing. I'm telling you, that's probably not natural. Probably not natural. And and behind that, there's a there's an operation that is pushing people towards evil. But God has given his people power to dislodge that evil. But it has to be perceived because you can't cast out a devil that you don't know is there. And if you don't believe that the adversary gets into the hearts and lives of certain people like that, then you'll be utterly surprised when uh, these things start happening. You, you'll just be looking for insane asylum in a straitjacket, or you want to find a psychotherapist or psychiatrist to medicate them and, and thinking that's what they need. But I'm telling you right now, medication cannot deal with a demon. And, and you can medicate a person, you can put them in a tranquil state, and, and they can sit there and, and just be passive and all of that, but that devil is still there. And the moment that that stuff wears off, he'll be able to do what he wants to do. And sometimes he'll do it even while the medicine is there. Yeah. These these things are important, important to know. So Satan enters into people. We know at the end of Luke, Satan entered into Judas. That's what it says. He entered Judas. Now, here, here was a man that was casting out devils at one time. And he was a man that was one of the 12 apostles. And he went through a change. And Jesus, in the Gospel of John, after he had chosen those disciples, he made this statement. Have I not chosen, past tense, 12 of you and one of you is, present tense, a devil. Something happened from the time God chose the 12 to the time where Judas started slipping away. Transformation occurred. And Satan was the one operating in the middle of all of that. Let's look at something else. Go to the book of Acts, chapter 13. Now, through the years, you've heard me tell countless stories where I've had in church services uh, just weird stuff and, and demonic manifestations of people and how God has brought deliverance to these people in these services, and at no time did I ever go looking for the devil. I didn't go running around trying to make something happen. These things just occurred, and I'll share a few of them again with you here in a little bit, but in Acts chapter 13, notice verse number eight. See, Paul is on the island preaching the gospel, trying to lead some folks to Christ, but Elimus, the sorcerer, how many of you know sorcery is wrong? Like magic is wrong. It's good to know that, especially now with October 31st coming up, because most of the United States of America, they love October 31st because they see that as a time of celebration. But for us who are Christians, uh, we, we don't do the whole Halloween. What we do is Reformation Day because October 31st is Reformation Day. That's also the day that Martin Luther, he put those papers up there on the, on the door of that Catholic church and said, they're going to be some changes around here, and they're starting right now. So Reformation Day is important for us to, that are believers. But, but this sorcerer here, he tried to resist Paul, seeking to turn the deputy from the faith, because Paul was witnessing to this deputy. And in verse 9, Paul, who's also called Saul, he was full of the Holy Ghost. He looked at him and said, You who are full of all subtlety and mischief, you child of the who devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? So I want you to understand anybody involved with witchery, anybody who 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 says that they are a licensed practicing warlock or something like that. You're talking about somebody who's given themselves over to the devil. Absolutely. When, when Mr. Anton LaVey started that, that uh, satanic church, he just had a lot of foul and vile and vulgar initiation ceremonies that people had to go through just to get into that. I'm talking about uh, men and women having to get together and in that satanic coven, everybody physically having to be with one another, changing partners, iniquity. You see, that's the devil. He comes to debase what God came to redeem. The devil comes to tear down the very thing that God is trying to lift up. So look here at verse, verse 11. The hand of the Lord is upon you. And you'll be blind, not seeing the sun for a season, and immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. so verse eleven shows you plainly that the power of God is greater than the power of the devil, and you as a Christian should never be afraid of the devil or of people who worship the devil if if someone were to come to me and, and they said you know Pastor Daryl, with some of the things that you teach and preach you, you've angered uh, some of the people that hold seances in, in some of these cities or there's somebody in town that practices Wicca and they're unhappy with you so they wanted me to tell you that they've made a, a doll and, and the doll is 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 shaped like you and, and they painted it to have your color and, and they're just gonna stick needles in it until you have pain in your body I'd laugh in their face And that's exactly what you should do also. We are not afraid of the powers of darkness. And God has not called us to have a spirit of fear. We recognize the reality of evil and and witchcraft. I mean, even Moses saw it up close and personal. He had that staff. He had to go to Pharaoh. He threw that staff down in front of Pharaoh. That thing turned into a snake. And then, of course... Uh, then the Lord told him after everybody looked at that and they were in shock, said, "Reach down and grab that by the tail. Now, you know, some of you ladies and men wouldn't have did that. The moment that thing would have became a snake and you'd have heard that voice that said, grab me by the tail, you would have said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> no, but, but Moses reached down and he grabbed it. It became a stick again. And those, those Egyptian witch doctors said, oh, is that all you got? And the Bible says they did the exact same thing and they threw their sticks down and their sticks became snakes. Now, they did that at the same time Moses was down there slithering around. And the Bible says that the stick that Moses had thrown down that became a snake, it swallowed up those witch doctors, snakes that were Egyptian. So that tells me that the truth of God will always consume the lies and deceptions of other things don't ever be afraid of the devil and don't be afraid to talk about them there's some people say oh no you just you know they talk about it in hushed tones you you got to be careful you know you say you say things like that then bad things will happen to you you know when, when i was a little kid i had a friend down the street he said uh they were gonna have a Ouija board. And so sure enough, they got that Ouija board, and, and my friends who went over there, they told me about it after. They said they were all sitting there, and they said they they moving that little thing around and, and just acting like a, something is going on, and I said and pretty soon it looked like that thing was just moving on its own with their arms and all of that, and, and everybody started hearing voices. I, I don't doubt that that stuff can happen, because the devil's looking for a medium. He's looking for somebody through whom he can speak. But I also know that if I would have been there, I would have said in the name of Jesus, come out of them. And that would have been the end of it. You have to believe you have been given power to resist the adversary. And you have to see the devil as an enemy the same way you would someone breaking into your home in the middle of the night. You don't get up and make cookies and milk for them. And you certainly don't throw out no welcome mat for them and say, "Please, oh, please, come on in. Let's sit down and dialogue. There's nothing to dialogue about. You dislodge him, you uproot him, and as Jesus said, you cast him out. Can you say amen? It's true. Okay. So then Acts 13 tells us that in Acts 16, verse 16, notice now. 16, verse 16. They were going to prayer, and there was a young lady possessed with a spirit of divination. So she was like a, a uh, psychic, you know, somebody with a familiar spirit. People went and stood before her, and then she could kind of tell their fortune and whatever. And so it says they brought, she brought a lot of money to the people that controlled her. And she is a prophetess, false prophetess. And Paul, in verse 18, because this woman was following behind him and making statements, he was grieved and he said to the spirit, not to the girl, but to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Now, that's the fulfillment of, Ma- of, of Mark sixteen seventeen. In my name. Now, he couldn't have done that by saying in the name of David, come out of her. No. He couldn't have done that if he would have said, in the name of Matthew, come out of her. But in the name of Jesus, that's a powerful name. And that's where you can see in that same hour he came out. So it doesn't always happen instantly, but it does happen. Within that 60-minute period of time, this little girl was delivered. I was listening to a guy one time tell a story, and it was basically based on... um, Acts chapter 19, where it says that there were certain cloths that were taken from Paul's body, verses 11 and 12, handkerchiefs and things like that. And diseases went out of the people and evil spirits went out of them. So the the teaching was about how, you know, in churches, they do have prayer cloths. I prayed over cloths for people in our churches before who wanted to take them to a, a loved one that was sick now this stuff when you see people on there charging people money for it, don't pay any of that stuff pay any mind to that kind of stuff don't even be involved with that but but, but with paul the, these cloths or handkerchiefs apparently were taken and given to the infirmed and as you can see demon spirit's were were cast out. So I was listening one time to a guy and he was telling a story about this and a lady came up to him in one of his meetings and said to him, My sister has been in the insane asylum for 30 years. And I want you and I to get her out of there. Well of course the evangelist was saying, Well how in the world are we gonna do that? And she said, Well I, I want you to pray. And so He told her, he said, Look, I have these cloths that we pray over, and I'll give one of those to you. She said, No, we can't use one of those because the the people there at the place know that I'm a Christian. I've been sending them for years. They monitor the mail and won't even let her have one of them. But they did tell me I could send her chocolates. So the the preacher said, Okay, well, what, what do you propose? He said, Well, I want you. to take this candy, and I want you to have this in your pocket while you're preaching, and said after you're done preaching, then I want you to give that candy back to me. I'm going to mail that to my sister, and I'm going to believe that a sister that for 30 years has been in insane asylum and hadn't known me or anybody else or even spoken a word in 30 years, that God's going to heal her and get her out of there. Well, that, that, preacher was like, well, really? You, you want to try something like this? And so, sure enough, he did. He got up and preached. He kept that, them, uh, that, that candy in his pocket. Then afterwards, gave it to her. Six months later, he was in another location preaching. And here comes this lady. And she's, she's down there when, uh, the, the pastor's taking up, taking up the offering. And she says, hey, pastor, good to see you. He said, uh, here's my sister. And so, the, the, that pastor, he said, well, well, praise the Lord. So glad to have you here. And then he went back to doing what he was doing. And then the lady said, no, no, I'm saying this, this is my sister. And so then that minister, he put down a little offering box. He said, well, grabbed her by the hand, said, well, praise the Lord. So glad to have you here. It's a joy to have you here. And then the lady said, you don't remember me, do you? And he said, no, I I don't. Who are you? He said, I'm the lady that came to you about the candy six months ago. And then, of course, then the the, uh, the, the preacher, of course, he was ready to have revival now. See, so he wanted to know what in the world all this was about, especially with the sister standing there. Well, to make a long story longer, he pretty much shut the service down, let her get up and testify. She mailed off that candy, and apparently she got it. But two weeks later, she got a phone call from the person, somebody in there that runs that place, and said, you can come get your sister now, and she said, well, come get my sister. What's wrong? Did she, did she pass away? You need me to come get her remains? Said, no. Said, your sister, she said, in the last couple of days, it gotten better, but woke up today and just swung her legs over the bed and just said, I'm ready to go home. I start asking for you. So here she was, totally healed. Three decades in an insane asylum, you see. Now, why was she in the asylum in the first place? Because no one knew how to deal with that, and there certainly had been no power in manifestation to get her out of there. But what I want you to understand is that just like in Acts chapter 19 in that verse 11 and 12, as was talking about miraculous things, supernatural things can happen because believers do have a power that is greater than the devil. Yeah, no doubt about it. And we've got to hold to that. Now, I've told you the believers are empowered to cast him out. But uh, part of the obstacles that we're facing today is we have very popular um, evangelical teachers and preachers on radio and television who don't believe in this kind of a thing. Now, they believe the devil is real. They believe the devil tempts people. But if somebody has some kind of substance abuse problem, they're never going to pray for them to be delivered in a supernatural way. They're going to ship them off to some A.A.A. self-help class. Or if someone is having some mental uh, instability, then they're they're certainly not going to pray and ask God to heal their their mental faculties. They're going to say, you need to go see a psychologist or psychiatrist, because this is what a lot of preachers do. Because even though they say they believe in the devil, they don't believe that they have power today to deal with this. And I understand that. Uh, Most of them uh, do ministry in a very controlled environment. That is to say, they preach in a sanctuary with anywhere from 50 to 5,000 people or more. And they go home and they stay in a nice house. They're ministering to well-educated people. Sometimes people who may have other issues personally and privately at home, but they would never see it as a demonic situation. And, and when they travel abroad, they're in a seminary, or Bible college, they're staying in a four-star hotel. They just go from the hotel to the classroom and back. They don't come in contact with anybody in, in, in a little village or anything like that. So in their minds, a lot of this stuff you see in the Bible isn't happening today. But the stuff you see in the Bible today, we see this stuff in America. We see this stuff overseas. We see this stuff all over the place, you know. That, that one time where I was preaching out on the west coast and that pastor at Picked me up that morning and brought me to the church. We pulled in on the church grounds in his little pickup truck. Had barely got to the to the little spot there in the parking lot, and then here comes a little lady running over there to the truck, and that pastor looked and saw that little girl running. She's probably nineteen or twenty. Saw her running over there. And I'll never forget he just kinda took his hands, put them in his lap, dropped his head and sighed, and said, Oh, I don't feel like dealing with this. And that little girl came over there to his side and was yelling and screaming. I need deliverance! I need deliverance! Then she came around to where I was because by now I'm getting out of the passenger door, getting ready to go in the sanctuary, get ready for service. And so she's there and she's all frantic. She's just moving around all like that. And she said, "You, the, you the preacher? You the preacher?" I said, "I'm the preacher." She said, "I need deliverance! I need deliverance! I need deliverance!" This is all out in the parking lot. And I, I said to her, "I said, well, are you going to be in the service?" She said, "Yes." I said, "Well, I'll preach." After I'm done preaching, then I'll pray for you. Well, to give you the back end of the story uh, now, uh, this little girl uh, was a prostitute and was on drugs and was absolutely full of the devil. Just just all kinds of things she had done in past services in that church church. And in that area, they just didn't know what to do with her. So I get into the sanctuary, they crank up the service, and when it's time for me to preach, she's just all over the place. I mean, she's just just frantic. You would have thought that you know she had some kind of what do they call it, ADD or something like that. But she's just moving all around, and was a total distraction the whole service. I just kept preaching. Bible says, "Give no place to the devil." I just kept preaching. And tried to keep the people's attention on me and what I was saying. And when I was done, I said, this young lady wants prayer, and we're going to pray for her. So I called her down that center aisle, put her right in front of me, and I I said uh, to her, "I, I want you to shout the name of Jesus as loud as you can. She couldn't even do it. She opened up her mouth to shout Jesus name. Those devils had her so bound. She couldn't even get that name out other than like a little hoarse whisper. So then I had the, the, the pastor and the whole congregation was there. It was deafening silence, just like it is right now. Totally quiet. And, and I said to her. I said, I'm going to pray for you. Well, I mean, I stretched forth my hand. She f- just fell back there on the uh, little ground there. And the, had the ladies come up, they stood around her. They start praying in the spirit around her. And then afterwards, I said, get her back up on her knees. It got her back up. I said, I want you to shout Jesus as loud as you can. And I mean, she shouted it. It came roaring out of her, and God had totally delivered. She fell out again, only this time she started speaking with other tongues. And she was totally delivered by the power of God. I I don't know how many services where we've preached and been in meetings where I've had crazy things like that that have happened because the devil's at work in people. And again, I tell you, uh, we've, we've never gone anywhere looking for that kind of a thing. It just seems to happen, you know. It just seems to happen. I think when light comes in contact with darkness, then, of course, there's got to be some kind of resistance that takes place. And in, in America right now, I, I think the, the devil is busy hurting and harming a lot of people. A lot of people. I, I think a lot of our, our young people today... Uh, definitely need some some special prayer for some people to, to really be able to bring liberty and freedom to them. I think some of our adults are the same way, uh, just just bound up in a lot of different ways because of the adversary. Now, the, the last thing I'll tell you is that Christians need to understand their empowerment. And we've got to teach on this because these are things we need to know on a practical level. If if you're with someone and they're telling you that they're having certain issues or problems, then sometimes you've got to be willing to pray for them. Because people who are full of the devil, sometimes they'll confess, they'll tell you they're full of the devil. They'll know it. The madman of Gadara. Those voices would speak out and tell people that the devil was inside of them. You understand? Uh, the, the story that I often tell of uh, Cornelio. I think Barbosa, I think was his, his last name out of Brazil. This, this was a story from maybe 75 years ago. And, and this gentleman, when he got healed, he traveled with, with Oral Roberts for a number of years. But here was a man that was born down in Brazil. And when he was in his mother's womb, his parents dedicated him to the devil. So they killed a chicken and they took that hot chicken blood and they made the sign of the cross over that woman's womb and they dedicated that boy, that child, to the devil. Well, when that baby was born, just all kinds of strange things would happen when that little kid was around. But by the time he was four or five, before he ever could speak Portuguese, he knew how to speak Latin. His dad was a doctor. He'd go with his dad to these little rural villages, and this little boy would then give the prescriptions and and things like that for what was wrong with these people and then tell the dad what needs to be dealt with. That's a familiar spirit, you see, a familiar spirit, familiar with a person's case, familiar with a person's life, familiar with aspects of an individual. And sure enough, by the time he got older, uh, this young man was so full of the devil that uh he even you know got to where he i don 't want to say perform, but I do want to say that there was extraordinary things that were taking place. He got a government job when he became an adult and made good money, powerful position, but at night. His own testimony was at night he'd come home from working for the government and then he'd take all his clothes off and then run around the streets naked till sunrise, then come back home, totally naked, demon-possessed. He had a wife. His wife left him. The wife said she'd be laying in bed with him in the middle of the night and said without him even moving, something would shove her out of the bed. She'd end up on the floor. After having got tired of that, she just said she couldn't live with him anymore. She packed her bags. She got out of there. This man said that when he was under that demonic power, he'd take crushed glass and break it. And then he'd turn around, put handfuls of that stuff in his mouth. Never had any kind of problem. Never had any kind of difficulty. Totally full of the devil. But there was a Methodist preacher who lived in the vicinity. Who knew about the name of Jesus and the power of God. And that Methodist preacher came and set that man free. And he traveled around South America and here in the United States telling his story so that people would know how he was delivered and freed. I had a roommate one time in in Jordan. His name was Bob. And Bob was a, a radio tech. Very good at what he did and also flew helicopters. And he, before he came to Jordan to learn Arabic, he had lived in Africa, can't remember which country, but I know he lived in Africa because I'll never forget this story. He told it was because of this story that he came to Jordan to learn Arabic. He said he was there in a little village and he said it was one of these villages that was filled with animism. That means these people worship rocks and trees and mountains and the sun and the moon and anything. They think a spirit is in it. And he said he had a roommate who was African. And he said them Africans, they love to beat them drums and them tom-toms and, and, and keep rhythm and everybody would dance all throughout the night, you know, around the fires and stuff like that. So he said, he said one night he's laying in bed and he said his African roommate, a little tiny room, couldn't have been no bigger than this little niche uh, right here. And maybe half of this. So there's a bed over there. Then there's a bed here. Here's Bob. And there's the African over there. He said the people out in the village got to beating those drums. And he said the people were dancing. And he said he could see the fires through the window and everybody were out there doing their thing. And he said that man who sleep in the bed got on all fours. And he said, all of a sudden he arched his back and he just started gyrating and swaying with that music. And he was asleep the whole time, the whole time he was asleep. And he's going through all of this and he's doing all of this and his body is jerking and all of that. And so I said, well, Bob, what did you do? Did you get up and did you cast the devil out? He said, no, I pulled them sheets over my head. And he said, the next day I got up and went and told my boss I'm leaving here. And I came here to study Arabic. That's what he told me, see? So here's a man who didn't know anything about the demonic, had it right there six feet away from him, didn't have any knowledge about how to cast the devil out, but he saw more in a few hours than some preachers in America will ever see. See? So all I'm saying to you is God has called us to be strong in him and in the power of his might. Don't be afraid. There's somebody in you that's greater than he that's in this world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power of the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the knowledge that you placed in your word that we can impart to people and receive. And Father, I pray that on any occasion when we need to use the name of Jesus, that we would use it courageously and we would trust that something wonderful is going to take place by way of deliverance. In Jesus' name. And everyone said...